Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw. I am here, as always, with Michael Shutt. And folks, this week, we can set the UVA win counter to one. Let's go. Ah, ah, ah. All streaks start with one win. I believe that was uh, inside of a fortune cookie. Man, big win for UVA. Needed win. Not the most technically impressive win. I mean, it was definitely dicey early in the game. Down 13-3. to and basically gifted them a touchdown on a fumble from Tony Musket. But they persevered. They played well. They actually ran the football for once all season. Paris Jones did a lot of work there. And they got a win. Two touchdown victory over William and Mary. And now they get to rest this week during the bye. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty impressive win. I mean, all things considered, you kind of like... I mean, people might discount it because it's William & Mary and it's an FCS team, so you feel like you're supposed to win. And I get that, right? I mean, like traditionally you see FCS, FBS matchups, and even some of the bottom-dweller FBS teams tend to beat up on these FCS schools. But William & Mary, prior to their loss to Elon, was a top-five FCS school. And this is a team with a tough defense. And then you factor in, you know, the first bit of the game where you really do kind of gift them a scoring opportunity and you're down 13-3 to be able to fight back and, and score 24 unanswered to, to close out the game. Pretty impressive. And, you know, I thought that, you know, even though Kobe Pace was sort of the workhorse with 20 carries, you know, Paris Jones looked dynamic. Um, he had the one long 43-yarder. But that dude, especially towards the end of the game, looked kind of unstoppable from a defense that, again, is really stout for William & Mary. So I was impressed with the win, and I do think like there is definitely some momentum to be gained from this. A couple of things stood out to me in this game. First and foremost, like the end of the first half, where UVA ties the game up, gets the ball back, they use up all their timeouts to force William and Mary to punt, and it looks like UVA is going to be aggressive, try to take the lead before halftime. They go nowhere, have a punt either tipped or just shanked, and now it looks like William and Mary is going to score, and William and Mary ends up fumbling the ball, very close to being down perhaps, but they end up going to replay, keeping it. And UVA manages to go right down the field in just a few seconds and score a touchdown right before the half. That that was a big moment, like a resilient moment for the team. It certainly seemed like it gave them confidence in the second half that they were going to win this game. I could easily have seen if William and Mary ends up scoring there. You know, there's definitely an angst in the stadium, probably uh, in the second half. But that was great. I thought the defense played really, really well overall. I mean, they uh, bottled up William and Mary's quarterback held him to 72 passing yards uh, and only 3.8 yards per play overall in the game, 15 first downs. So pretty, pretty good from UVA. I'm happy. You know, it's not, look, it's not a huge victory. It's not the end-all, be-all. There are a lot bigger games that we'll talk about today, but it was sorely needed for a fan base that has been frustrated and for a team that's been dealing with so much. So made me happy. Made my Saturday much more enjoyable. Love that. Anytime you can go into the bye on a win with a big game against Carolina after, like, 
yeah, that's that just feels good. And I think it puts your program in the right spot. And, you know, there's definitely something to build on there. So now the focus for UVA to me has to be on how do you steal a game like the rest of the season? You're going to have a bunch of tough games, probably not favored in anything for the rest of the way. I would imagine maybe Virginia Tech, depending on how the back half of the season goes. But, you know, now how do you how do you go through a relatively tough stretch in your schedule and and find an opportunity to win some more games and i'm not saying that as if like it's impossible or anything like that it it wouldn't surprise me at all to see this uva team win a couple more games it's not going to be easy and so i think it's it's how do you use this buy to figure out okay what worked right in the first uh half or so of the season here what are the things that are worked out well for us how can we be most successful how do we you know, find matchups that work for us against tough teams in these next few games where you have Carolina and Miami, you've got Louisville coming up in a few weeks. Like how do you manage to be competitive in those games and then look to put yourself in position to win games like Georgia tech, Virginia tech that are more winnable matchups. So you mentioned two teams that I want to talk about right now. Yeah. Just go ahead and get into this Georgia tech, Miami, Sure. The game of my life. What an ending. That is, you know, I've seen... Well, first of all, let me just level set for anybody who hasn't seen this, which if you haven't, you must be living under a rock. But If there's somebody uh, who my, hasn't seen this but is listening to this podcast, that feels... I don't know. It's, <laughs> that Venn diagram is very low, but yeah. we'll, just, we'll just go with it. So, so Miami... Has the game won? It's 23-20, a game that they dramatically outgained Georgia Tech, really bottled up the passing game for the Yellow Jackets, and they have it won. And all they have to do is take a knee at the end of the game. But as Mario Cristobal is wont to do frequently, instead of just taking a knee, he runs plays, gains yards. Taking a knee loses yards. I mean, you, you that those stats are important when you're recruiting That's right. players. That's right. So they run a play, and the ball gets ripped out with like 30 seconds to go. Now, I think it should be said before we dunk on Miami, having seen the replay a number of times, that guy's shoulder or elbow looks down. Yeah, he looks down. But we're not going to let that get in the way. Let's not let facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> so... Uh, Georgia Tech goes right down the field after getting this fumble recovery and scores a touchdown, basically doubling up their entire passing yards for the game on one drive and wins it. And now Miami is left with their first loss of the season to a team that had just the previous week lost to Bowling Green by 11. (laughs) What a mess. Like, what a mess. What a mess for Miami. How do you recover from that if you're Mario Cristobal? I I mean... Short answer is I don't think you do. I'm not saying that Miami's done and like they can't still have a successful season, but you're never going to fully recover from this specifically in terms of like confidence in a late game that your team is going to do what they're supposed to do or your coaching staff is going to do what you're supposed to do. If you're thinking about recovering from this in the sense of having the trust and confidence of Miami fans. Like you said, like this is what Mario Cristobal does. You go through, and I, and I was looking at some stuff earlier, and he's got a long history of this. Like he doesn't take a knee. He just that's that's not in his coaching philosophy. And 
that makes no sense to me. I like it's hard for me to. There is no explanation that would make me be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sure." Like I look at at college football. Like a lot of times, these look these coaches are much smarter than I am. They know much more about football than I've ever known. So sometimes they'll explain things that I'm like, "Yep, yeah, didn't think about it that way." Like, great point, Nick Saban. This is not one of those things where there's any explanation out there. It's just catastrophically stupid. You look at the, like you mentioned this, you look at the box score from the game, Miami dominated. I mean, absolutely dominated, almost doubled up uh, Georgia Tech in terms of total yards. The only area in which Georgia Tech had the advantage really was Miami turned the ball over a ton, not just that last time, but they had five turnovers in the game. That's not good. So I, I, I think there's something where we can, we can spend, I say we, not just in this podcast, but collectively as sports fans. We can spend all of our time thinking about the coaching blunder, and that's fine. It does give the chance for Georgia Tech to win, but there's other issues here that pointed out that Miami is a fundamentally flawed team. Georgia Tech shouldn't have been in the game, but five turnovers will do that. So then you get the turnover at the end because you refuse to take a knee. Georgia Tech still had to make the plays to go score, and giving up, I mean, the coverage on that 44-yard touchdown pass was horrendous. Yeah, no one. No <laughs> one back. No one. He was five <laughs> yards clear of the next closest defender. So it's like you're in a situation where, you know, Georgia Tech needs that touchdown and you let him get behind you for a 44-yard touchdown and it's not even really close. Like, that seems bad. <laughs> so that... And maybe that's also on coaching, in which case they have much bigger coaching issues. I think we've talked in the last couple of weeks about not fully buying into Miami. And and this is why. Like This is like the old Clemson days where the team would be really good but have an inexplicable loss that you're just like, well, yep, they just can't win the big one. And here it is. And my last thing on this, they deserve to lose for those horrendous uniforms they were wearing. So honestly, it's just karma. The funniest thing to me in the game was watching it live. I was worried that Georgia Tech's guy, as he's going into the end zone, slid. Like for mm. inexplicable reasons, he decides <laughs> to like butt slide into the end zone, which almost was like they have to review that to make sure that he actually gets the ball across. Like that yeah. would have been an even funnier ending, just like inexplicable goes down at the one Deshaun Jackson style. But so that that one was hilarious. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Like we spent a lot of time criticizing coaches and I don't just mean you and I, but like fans. And there yeah. are things like uh, the decision to not go for it on fourth and one or the decision to kick a field goal or play this guy over this other guy. And there are so many factors in that that we can't know about. We can't see what practice looks like. They have their analytics that maybe we don't have access to. Maybe their kicker is injured and they make one decision over another. This is just like somebody playing Madden and trying to run up the score. Like this <laughs> is just insane. And for it not to just even be like a brain meltdown one time, but like have that be your philosophy is just absolutely crazy to me on such a big stage, such a high profile program, just absolutely wild. But this does give us the opportunity. We last three episodes, we've incorporated the words transitive property mm. somehow. So if you're listening for that, go ahead and have your drink. But the <laughs> ultimate transitive property situation now where Georgia Tech has beat Miami. Miami crushed Miami of Ohio. 
who crushed and shut out Bowling Green, who two weeks ago just beat Georgia Tech. So there you go. That's college football for you. <laughs> yeah, what's the what's the takeaway from that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Georgia Tech, therefore, is better than Georgia Tech. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like, yeah, I think that's like a mathematical proof that yeah. can't be answered. I don't know. It's a great paradox there. Can I just say too? I, I said it was my last thing, but there there was a play in that game. I we focus on the long touchdown, all this stuff. One of the best highlights of that game, though, Jamal Haynes, running back for Georgia Tech, has a four yard touchdown run where he gets hit at like the three yard line and just carries like three Miami defenders into the end zone. I have watched that highlight more than the last touchdown because it's just like. Every time I watch it, even knowing the outcome now, I'm like, he's not going to score. There's no way. He stopped short. He just has a big boy run, and I love it. I think that, like, there's something there. I was not watching this game live, but when you go back and watch that, we should have known when we saw him score. Like, Georgia Tech's going to win this game. That was just, like, the demoralization of the entire Miami football team, and I'm, I love it. Yeah, I want to talk about a couple other games that happened uh the biggest game of the day of course was the texas oklahoma game which lived up to it lived up to the hype let's just say that especially after the first few minutes of the game which were just insane where texas who hadn't really thrown any interceptions all year throws one on their first drive they go for it twice on fourth down on one drive following that one of which had to be held up because it looked like they fumbled the ball on a direct snap throw from a running back, which was just wild. And then from there, like the game just continues to get crazier and eventually leads to Oklahoma with a dramatic last minute drive to win the game. Dylan Gabriel played well, threw the ball all over the place, but also was the team's leading rusher which they sorely needed because they were having trouble running the ball at other places. So sorry to say, man, your Texas is back is, is now dead. I don't think it's dead. I like, I, I don't know. This is not like a bad loss. This is not Miami. Like it, it, Miami is the other team, right? That everybody always, we have this conversation. Are they back? This isn't Miami losing to Georgia tech. This Oklahoma team seems legit. And you know, I, I think Texas, you look at the rest of their schedule, like there's a really, really good chance they finish with this being their one loss. And they beat Alabama, you know, and they it's not like their their schedule the rest of the way is like cupcakes, right? But they're gonna be favored in every game. So they still have a chance to pick up some decent wins there. So I don't know. I'm I'm not willing to say that this is like death to the the Texas is back conversation, but it definitely hurts. It's one of those things where it was like, if, you know, again, considering the rest of the schedule, if Texas had won this game, it looks like they're probably going to go undefeated with these big wins um, on their resume. So, you know, I get it. It does hurt them. But to me, like, I, I don't know. It's not like there's a lot of shame in losing the Red River rivalry by you know, less than a score on a, on a last second, basically touchdown. Like it's not as though they got blown out. It's not as though they got drastically upset by, you know, like they play Houston next week. That would be different if they lose to them. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. They're not back, but I don't know. I I, I don't write Texas off for this. I, I thought they would win the game. I had faith in them. And so 
maybe, you know, I think more, and it's a convenient narrative for me, but I think the um, more likely thing is that Oklahoma is further along than we thought. They're better than I thought they were after a disappointing year last year. Yeah, I really was impressed by what I saw from Oklahoma. They put a lot of pressure on Quinn Ewers. I mean, they, they forced him to make some bad throws that you don't normally see from him. And they took care of the ball offensively. I mean, that was honestly the difference in the game as Texas turned the ball over and Oklahoma didn't. And Oklahoma made plays at the end of the game. I can already just see the conversations that are going to be on ESPN at the end of the year. If these two teams likely are going to face each other again in the Big 12 championship. If Texas wins that game, they have, you know, how do you value that in terms of getting into the playoff? And then Alabama has been playing really well. They got a big win over Texas A&M this past weekend. Does Texas have the edge over Alabama or does Alabama sneak in? And like, how do you uh, litigate all of those things? It's uh, we're in for some some banter at the oh, end of the season, I think. Absolutely. I think. And that's doesn't that just seem right? Like, that's just what yep. this is. What, what we're on track for is that these teams are going to play again early December in Dallas for that that Big 12 championship game. And of course, Texas will win that game. And, and just because then we get to have a playoff debate. And yeah, it, it's it's going to be nauseating. I don't look forward to that, <laughs> but it, but it's it's probably what's going to happen. The other game that really stood out to me was the USC Arizona game, and that stood out to me because USC nearly lost to Arizona and really tried to started the game off down seventeen nothing, needed triple overtime to win, and they really Arizona, despite having a backup quarterback in. That guy had five touchdowns, which maybe says something about USC's defense. We've frequently discussed how they <laughs> continue to not be the best and are not at all reliable. But also, Caleb Williams was bottled up for most of the game passing. He managed to get some first downs, big plays, touchdowns with his legs. But it was the first time I've really seen a team keep Caleb Williams from doing everything that he wants to do. Like, he still had a pretty good game. But overall, like, Arizona, which has not been good at all. Like, that's the other thing. Arizona's not good. It's not like Oregon did this to them. Arizona's bad and is playing with their backup quarterback. Very, very concerning for USC. Yeah, I mean, I I would certainly be worried that some of the stuff we saw last year from USC in terms of a weak defense, like, all that stuff still seems to be there. Some issues on the offensive line, you know, Caleb Williams sacked four times. He definitely was under duress a decent amount of the game. That being said, like, you know, you know, and you mentioned this, he, he didn't have the explosive passing performance that we're used to seeing from him. Still responsible for four touchdowns in the game, you know, and still showed an ability to carry his team to victory. And it wasn't a pretty victory by any stretch of the imagination. And this is not a great Arizona team. I don't think they're terrible, right? If you look at their results from the season, they dropped a game to Washington by only a touchdown, and Washington has been one of the better teams in the country. Um, they lost to Mississippi State by a touchdown. I don't think that Mississippi State would be categorized as a bad loss. You know, they had a close win over Stanford. Like, it's this is not a – I'm not trying to say that Arizona is good. I just don't think they're terrible. I don't think it should have been a triple overtime game. If you're USC and you're trying to position yourself as a playoff contender, 
you got to win games like this a little bit more comfortably. And it's clear when you look at the the rankings, the top 25, the AP poll, like it's clear that voters don't totally buy into them either, right? I mean, they're 6-0, and but they're keeping them at like number nine. They're on that back part of the top 10 because of things like this. You know, they, they barely beat Arizona. They almost blew it against Colorado. They had to pull away wait late against Arizona State. And we talked about it at the very beginning of the season. That first game against San Jose State, you know, was close for longer than it should have been. This is a USC team with holes. Like, there's no doubt about that. Is USC just playing NBA Jam? Is that what this is? It's just like, no matter what lead they have, then the algorithm will come back and get them? Maybe that's it. Big game this weekend against Notre Dame, which we will talk about in a little bit. Any other games strike your fancy this past weekend? I mean, you just mentioned Notre Dame. Um, I, I just feel like I have to apologize to Louisville. Uh, you know, you I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to. Maybe I should rephrase that. I don't really want to apologize to Louisville, but I, I am willing to kind of eat crow and say, like, I was wrong. I thought that Louisville was not a very good undefeated team. And quite frankly, the evidence did suggest that. Like, it wasn't they didn't look that great and you and i talked a little bit off air about this yesterday but it feels like this is a louisville team that a couple of things go differently and they're not undefeated but then that makes this win over notre dame harder to explain to me because they still don't feel that great but they thoroughly beat notre dame you know this was not a close game it didn't even feel as close as the scoreboard really suggests and so looking at this like uh, maybe louisville is good <laughs> maybe they're better than i think they are i mean they're certainly good right they're you don't get to six and oh without being some level of good but you look ahead at their schedule and like they've got pit next that should be a win so then they're going to be seven and oh going into a game against duke big show down there i mean so they have some tough games left because then they finish with miami and kentucky I don't think this Louisville team goes undefeated, but the fact that they're in the conversation this late in the season in terms of ACC contention is pretty impressive. And so hats off to them, I guess. Jack Plummer, still not all that great at football, but they're finding a way to win, and that's impressive. Yeah, they just mashed Notre Dame up at the line of scrimmage. Five sacks, forced Sam Hartman to throw three picks. Very uncharacteristic of him. They just they won the line of attack, and that was the difference in the game for most of it. You know, they also got some big contributions on the ground. Yeah, they have a really good chance of making it to the ACC championship. I mean, it's them and UNC and Florida State are the undefeated teams, and none of them play each other at this point. So somebody is going to get left out. I assume that somebody will at least one of them will lose before the end of the year. But just kind of an interesting dynamic at this point in the season. Speaking of UNC, Tez Walker got to play. Congratulations <laughs> to Tez Walker for being allowed by the NCAA to play. We talked about this a few weeks ago and just how ridiculous it was for him to be held out as a two-time transfer player, even though they came up with the rule after he had officially transferred and he didn't actually get to play at his previous school. But the back and forth between UNC and the NCAA is kind of amusing. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at this, but the NCAA in their statement saying that Tez was allowed to play, they cited new information, quote, 
Staff determined the new information qualifies Walker for a transfer waiver. The information had not been made available by UNC previously, despite the school's multiple chances to do so. It is unfortunate that UNC failed to provide this important information previously. And then they go on to castigate UNC for trying to get fans up in arms about this and getting them in trouble. So that was the NCAA's posture on this. The athletic director, Bubba Cunningham, was not having it. He came out and said, quote, We are happy that Tez Walker is now eligible to play and enjoy doing what he loves to do. However, the justification provided by the NCAA today is not accurate. The university submitted all necessary information and documentation, and it was made available to us at the time, and we still believe Tez met all standards for the waiver in early August. So what like what new information could have come out about this? I don't know. I genuinely am am kind of baffled by this. I don't understand what there could have possibly been here that Carolina had not provided or what that information could be. Why, if there was information, it wasn't provided. Is it possible there was something they knew? Like they, they allude to the NCAA statement alludes to the importance of Tez Walker's privacy. And I don't, so there's got to be something, you know, this whole time, the storyline has been about, you know, how he wanted to be here to be able to play close to his grandma, I guess, who's going through some health concerns. I don't know. Maybe Carolina felt like the better way to put pressure on the NCAA was through kind of a public opinion campaign and try to get people mad at the NCAA or whatever. Like that seems to be what the NCAA is suggesting that Carolina could have provided information that would have led to Tez Walker's eligibility, but decided instead that they would get, turn the public against the NCAA, which is not hard to do. And also, like, how, how bold of the NCAA to assume the public wasn't already against them. Right. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't really make sense that, you know, there's something there that wasn't previously used. Now, like, of course, Bubba Cunningham, like, He's got motivation to fudge the truth here a little bit too, right? There's definitely a motive for him to say, no, of course we submitted all the necessary information that we had and and he met the standards. Like, it's hard because I could see why both sides would say this. I could see the NCAA saying like, well, we don't want the public to think we're totally the bad guys. So actually it's Carolina's fault for for not providing the right stuff. I don't know. It's tough. I don't know the kid. I don't know the family situation. He should have been playing based on timing, based on the fact that he, like you said, he transferred before the rule was changed. There is a little bit of me that's kind of like, there was some, I forget who it was, but one of the Carolina people said like, you know, a big part of this is Tez's draft stock and his ability to play with an elite quarterback in Drake May, which is why he transferred to Carolina. And then you're like, well, hold on. I thought he transferred to Carolina because of his grandma. There's some sort of part of it where it, it feels a little icky, I guess. <laughs> there's there's a little bit of kind of, I don't really know what the motivations are, but also I don't really care. Like, just let the kid play. And, and it seems obvious, and I don't understand why we delayed, why or what could possibly be the new information. I I, I just have no idea. Yeah. It's just a weird 
It's a weird story. Like, I want to know more about it because either UNC was negligent in providing information, in which case, shame on them, or the NCAA is lying and has now basically just folded to public pressure, which is what I'm inclined to believe. But again, there's information that could be missing. Or like really something new came out from somebody. And I can't even imagine what that is. Like you said, maybe it's like a medical thing or a family thing or whatever. But you would just think that everyone would have been extremely motivated to send that information along as soon as he was held out. But anyway, weird story, man. I again, hate UNC, like the fact that this kid was able to play and he makes their offense even more dynamic than it otherwise would, even though he was like held to basic formations and stuff like that. He still had six catches in his first game back. So like he's going to make their offense even better than it already was. Oh yeah, no doubt, which that part I hate, but it is what it is. And I, you know, I, I it's okay. I can set aside my hatred for Carolina to, to say like we did the right thing for this kid i have an issue some with like mac brown's response to this just felt super self-righteous this kind of like well we him? were all <laughs> right <laughs> it's like this was always only about tez's well-being certainly isn't about a thing that could help my football my football team be better you know and just it's clear that he's already they're already sort of positioning this as almost like a recruiting tool. Like, look how much we care about our kids and we never gave up. We never backed down from this. And it's like, okay, like, sure. But also there's coaches all around the country trying to appeal transfer waivers and things like that. That's the thing where I do understand some bitter NC state fans out there that are like the governor wrote a letter. The the North Carolina attorney general wrote a letter supporting this over time and it's like nc state has had like chandler zavala over the last couple of years had to apply for a, a trans a waiver for eligibility governor wasn't writing letters for that and so like it is a little annoying which i understand but ultimately it was the right thing to let the kid play should we move on to talking about this coming weekend yeah let's not as many games to talk about only five games in the acc this weekend but they should be good saturday at noon on abc we have syracuse traveling to tallahassee doe campbell stadium to play florida state florida state is favored by 17 points here is the quote i just saw from dino babers in a press conference when he was asked about his depth and how that's looking quote it's the same old thing Depth is gone. Our depth is in the transfer portal. You know how many guys we lost? You know what schools they play at? Schools like us, we're not going to have a lot of depth because it gets bought away. Now, fact-checking this, they did lose 10 players. They brought in 10 players, and seven of them are on their depth chart. But I don't think the thing you want to hear from your head coach heading into like the toughest game of the year, probably, is complaining about your depth. Like they just got boat raced by UNC. It's forty to seven this past weekend. It just doesn't seem like the kind of vibes that you want to hear when your coach is like complaining about NIL and transfer portal and stuff like that. So give me Florida State. No other analysis needed. Florida State wins by four touchdowns. Yeah, this sounds like a coach who knows that he could be in trouble 
hot seat wise. It's interesting because I feel like I've read some stuff recently. Like ESPN had an article that said that his seat was actually cooling down, which seems weird because like that's not how their season has gone. They've lost two in a row that weren't competitive. Figure to lose a third in a row here. And your coach is not only, you know, talking about not having depth, but the way he positioned that as like, well, schools like us, we just can't have that. Like you're saying existentially, your team can't be good enough. If I'm an athletic director, if I'm a booster who donates a lot of money to, to Syracuse, how in the world do I look at this and say Dino Babers is our guy? I'm thinking like, hold on, this guy doesn't believe he can win here. You don't want that. Like, I understand, like, let's be realistic as fans. Syracuse is not going to contend for a national championship anytime soon in college football. But you don't want your head coach just saying that out loud. <laughs> like, you don't want Tony Elliott to give a press conference where he's like, well, guys, understand at UVA, we just can't really be that great. Like, we're hoping for bowl contention and that's it. Like, that may be true, but you don't want to hear your coach saying that, especially if you're a player. <laughs> like, yeah. If I'm a talented player at Syracuse and I hear my coach saying that, I'm like, he's got a really good point. I'm also going to transfer to go play <laughs> somewhere else. Like, this just felt like one of the dumber things I've heard a coach say. And, and yeah, you can't, you got a team that's been beaten pretty badly the last two weeks. I mean, they just, from the very beginning, Carolina demolished them this past week. So you got to think down in Tallahassee against the Florida State team that was challenged this past week by a pretty bad Virginia Tech team. You got to think there's a bounce back for Jordan Travis and Florida State. I mean, they still scored, what, 39 points. But, like, they're going to put up a ton of points on this Syracuse team. And uh, this this one's not going to be close. I like four touchdowns as well. Definitely to cover. Even if something is true, like you said, even if the landscape of the transfer portal is bad and you don't like it and it hurts your team, just this is not the time to be like litigating that kind of stuff. It comes we off very be better. bitter. This is like the Pat Narduzzi stuff from last year. I just don't, I don't like this. I don't like, I'm not saying it's all perfect and, and the current landscape is the way things should be or anything like that, but just shut up coaches. Like either retire and say, you know, I don't want to do this anymore or get with it and figure it out. Saturday, three 30 ACC network. You mentioned Virginia Tech played pretty well for two quarters against Florida State. They struggled in the beginning. They had a comeback after being down 22 nothing to bring it within five points. Now they host Wake Forest. Virginia Tech is favored by two points. Virginia Tech managed to get a lot of rushing yards against Florida State, over 200 rushing yards. Wake had 239 total yards against Clemson. Total. They didn't play super well offensively and still were in the game 17 to 12. So I don't really know what to make of that. I kind of feel like Virginia Tech has a higher trajectory right now. It feels like Wake is wandering in the wilderness, doesn't really know what it wants to be, can't really score offensively. Virginia Tech is kind of figuring it out offensively. Playing at home, less than a field goal. I think I take the Hokies here. Yeah, I feel decent about that. The bet for this game that I feel really good about is the under. And I felt good about that before I even looked at the number. Just because, like, I don't know, man. This, these don't feel like super competent offensive teams. The point total is set at 48. 
I I really like the under on that. I like it a lot. I'm expecting a low scoring close game. I do like the Hokies by a field goal. Yeah, I think that that feels good to me. I just don't I don't know who this Wake Forest team is. I don't know what their identity is. I don't know what it is that they're particularly good at. Whereas like you said, it feels like the Hokies are finding an identity and and so they're on a better trajectory just like you said and I I think that puts them in a position to to take care of business at this game. Yeah, they, their team does have like an early Dave Clawson era vibe rather than the last few years where we've seen them just put up a million points with Sam Hartman. This is like how Wake had to win games when he first got there and was rebuilding the program. Like, let's just muddy it up as much as possible and see what happens at the end. But Saturday, 630 on the CW, number 14 and undefeated Louisville. Fresh off of beating Notre Dame in a big game in prime time. Seven and a half point favorites traveling to Pitt, a team that is just absolutely struggling right now. Maybe the worst team in the ACC, kind of surprisingly. But you know what? Pitt is pretty good defensively, even though their offense has been bad. And you spend every moment in our podcast talking about how bad Phil Jerkovich is. Their defense is pretty good. They're 20th nationally in yards allowed. And just a fun fact that Pitt has beaten a top 25 team in every one of the last seven seasons. So still waiting for that to happen this year. Got to keep that streak alive. I don't think Pitt is going to win this game because I just don't think they're that good. But I don't know. Something about this game, I feel like it's going to be close. Like, I think I want to take Pitt in the points. Just letdown situation for Louisville. Pitt plays good on defense. Jack Plummer reverts to being a pumpkin. And just give me give me Pitt in the points for reasons I can't really describe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this game feels weird line feels a little tight to me Mm -hmm. um this one's i wouldn't say this line like outright stinks but it's got a little bit of a smell to it it's it's got a you know one of those things where there's something in your refrigerator that like (laughs) hold on something in here just isn't quite right and uh, you know it's one of those that like if i'm following your philosophy i'm not sure it's something i run to but I might speed walk a little bit and, and kind of think about like, I might think about Pitt and the points. I, I like this as a teaser candidate. I'd want a few more points. I just don't know, man. I, I It's tough. I feel like I just got burned because I was like, Louisville's not good. And then they go out and, and like beat Notre Dame easily. And now I feel like I'm going to be like, never mind, Louisville's good. And then they're going to lose to Pitt. So you know what? Yeah, screw it. Give me pitting the points. I, I'm I'm with you on this. I think like I keep looking for like we've agreed on everything so far, and I want to disagree with you, but we'll I get there. I think. Yeah, I just think like this is that game that gets people to be like, oh no, Phil Jerkovich, look, veteran quarterback, he's actually pretty good. So I, I yeah, I like it. I, I would like it more. No, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, this game just makes me feel super weird, and I, I, I just feel like it's on the CW, which feels perfect too. Maybe mm-hmm. that makes it even weirder. Sure, yeah, pit, pit, but I'm gonna tease it to like ten and a half. Yeah, I do like it as a teaser candidate, but I'm telling you, man, Pat Narduzzi as a home underdog 
is tough. He is good as an underdog. That's like what he wants. He he like I feel like intentionally loses games so that he can be an underdog, a Vegas underdog <laughs> later in the season. You know, that's just like his overall mentality. He's just got a ton of like nobody believes in us speeches already written. And he's like, yep. well, I got to get to a place where I can use these because. <laughs> <laughs> yep. A hundred percent. Saturday, 730 on ABC should be an intriguing game. UNC and Miami, Miami attempting to bounce back from maybe the single dumbest thing that has ever been done on a football field, possibly, against UNC, <laughs> playing really well, still undefeated. The line is three and a half. I'm not really sure why the line is that small. I guess Miami, I guess everyone's just like setting aside the fact that Miami lost the game and just like giving them a do-over and basically be like, well, like, you know, philosophically, you won that game because you outscored or out drove Georgia Tech the whole game and had 83 plays to 53 plays or whatever. But I don't know. That seems like a little bit low to me. I just think UNC is playing really well right now. Drake May is coming off a 442 yard passing game with 55 yards on the ground, three touchdowns. I like UNC at home, but would it surprise me if UNC just lays a brick with Mac Brown at the head coach? No, it wouldn't. But I guess I would take UNC. See, this line stinks. Like, yeah, it kind of does. I I think this one has a little bit more smell to it than that Louisville Pitt line. I don't get why this line isn't isn't bigger. I I think that. Miami's clearly a talented team. See, I, I kind of put Miami and USC in the same category. Teams with a lot of talent that have some some flaws, that that have holes. Like Carolina so far, you know, doesn't really seem to have a ton of of major holes, but I, I guess it's hard for me to still like totally believe in that. Mm, I think this game's gonna be close. I like Miami. Maybe this is what I what I put in that teaser um, with Pitt because I like Miami to keep it close. I can't quite decide if I like Miami to win. I just feel like it's very much possible. I feel like I'm still waiting for a game where UNC's defense looks porous again. They've been much better this season than than I think a lot of us expected them to be. Yeah, give me Miami. I think you've kind of talked me into it. I feel like UNC is a basic pick. That's just like a public, like, whoa, UNC's the favorite, and they're at home, and Miami just did this really dumb thing. I think I've I've now been talked into it that Miami's going to win the game. I mean, that's the thing is, like, I'm not sure the public would be doing that if Miami, ha like, if Mario Cristobal just calls a kneel. Like, if he just says, take a knee, then they're they're undefeated, and we're looking at this game as a much bigger matchup. And like you said, functionally, they won that game. And, and, and I understand that doesn't matter, but it does. Like, in terms of trying to predict future performance, I think it does matter. And I think the fact that you still have an incredibly dynamic offense, I expect this game to be a high-scoring game. I like the over here. Uh, the number is fairly high. I think it's at, like, 58. I still like this to be a high scoring game and I, and I I like Miami and I'm it may just be Miami money line. I don't know by the time I get to Saturday I might decide I want to go Miami straight up. I might see where the line moves and stuff like that, but uh yeah, I think this is going to be a really good game. 
see how much money you've lost over the course of the day and then try to win it all back with one underdog parlay or something like that's that. Right. I love that's that. That's right. That's right. I'm I'm seeing stuff. I was watching ESPN earlier and literally their analysts were like, I just don't see a way for Miami to go into Carolina and win. I'm like, what? This is not like their run defense is super good. Like Miami's run yeah. defense is great. They completely shut down Georgia Tech's ability to run the football. And so and they've done that all season with whoever they've played. So I think that Drake May will throw for a lot of yards, but I wonder if they will not be able to get as many of their like zone read designed runs for Drake May based on how good Miami's run defense is. Yeah, I agree. There's going to be a lot of strength versus strength here, which makes for a good game. And I just think it's, um, yeah, it's going to be more competitive than it seems some people think. I mean, the line's closed, but public opinion seems to think like, oh, why would we think this is a close game? Miami just did this stupid thing. Like, sure, it's not like Mac Brown's never done a stupid thing. I'm definitely going to watch because I want to see how many times they bring up the Mario Cristobal mistake. Oh, yeah. I just yeah. want to see that. Saturday at 8, game you care most about. NC State traveling to number 17, Duke. Duke is favored by 3.5. Game will be on the ACC network. MJ Morris in his first game as quarterback. Threw for a lot of yards. Definitely provided an offensive spark to the Wolfpack, but also threw three picks some of which were not great decisions, had some overthrows, not the most efficient quarterback, but it's okay. You know, you'll take those points given what you had seen from the offense in the previous weeks. Should be interesting. It's I think it's unlikely that Riley Leonard's going to play. I know he's still listed as day-to-day for Duke, but seems very unlikely that he, like he hasn't really been practicing with the team. So it's probably going to be the backup Henry Bellin fourth. Completed 13 of 14 passes in his career. So very accurate. Something that NC State definitely has to worry about. Uh, I probably wouldn't bet this game at all just because I don't know about Leonard's status. But I do kind of like Duke here. I feel like they bounce back. They've had a week off and prepped the backup quarterback. NC State has been kind of tinkering with close games where they haven't played super well the Marshall game you know they gave up 41 points defensively they had the Louisville game where it was 13 to 10 I just feel like they're playing in a lot of those kind of games and I haven't been super impressed with them I've been waiting for them to pop and they just haven't done it and so I think I will take Duke here if forced to choose first of all this feels like a massive game for NC State and you kind of have to if you want to have hope of of this game being of this season being anything special um i think you have to take advantage of the opportunity to get a big win like you said mj morris provided a spark for the offense four touchdown passes three picks two of which i think you could attribute to things other than his decision making um i mean there was a pick six on like a bubble screen where the receiver didn't even block the defender. That's just like a timing play. He doesn't have, there, there's not a, a chance on that play for him to make a read. It's just he's counting on the outside receiver to block the defensive back, and then he doesn't. He whiffs on it. Porter Rooks whiffed on the block. So, you know, that's hard. Um, but you take that play out of the game, and, you know, things look a little different. And it's an offense that I've been begging to put up points. They put up 48 in a game where the defense, you know, did some things well. 
but struggled with some other aspects and especially, you know, the secondary still dealing with some injuries. And so, you know, there were uh, some issues there, obviously, in terms of, you know, you don't want to give up over 300 passing yards. That being said, you know, you look at this defense and and I an anticipation of this game with Duke with a potentially a backup quarterback playing, you got to think they're going to lean on the run game. And the NC State team over the last three games has given up an average of just 79 rush yards a game. And that's top 10 in the country. So, you know, I think it's going to be difficult um, for Duke to run the ball against NC State. So then it becomes about what does the passing game look like? What can a backup produce or potentially a, a Riley Leonard kind of coming back from injury? What can they produce in the passing game? Can the state offense continue to be explosive, to have a little more verticality to it? I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of like, I guess I'm unsure about this. Probably not a game I'll bet on, similar to you. If I was going to bet on it, 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 it's hard for me to take out the homerism, but I do. I honestly do feel good about this offense with MJ Morris at the helm, the defense with a healthy Peyton Wilson who has looked. You know, the last two weeks has been like the national lineback, the linebacker of the week. You know, it looks like a, a absolute wrecking ball out there. I, I do like NC State in this game, provided that. If Riley Leonard doesn't play, I definitely do. If Riley Leonard plays, it feels a little tougher. But even if he does play, it feels like he'd be limited running the ball, which has been a big weapon for him this year. And I just think the rush defense is going to make this a one-dimensional Duke offense, and they haven't been that great throwing the ball this year. So, yeah, I'll be a homer. Give me State. I actually think, given Riley Leonard's likely constraints of running the ball, that if he does play, I'm actually more likely to pick NC State because that is just such a big yeah. part of his game is that he can he can scramble and make big plays and I think that uh, Balin will be able to do that in the Duke offense like he has had that ability and you don't know what you're going to really get from him you've only seen him in basically clean up duty and he redshirted last year after only a couple of appearances but yeah I, I actually think that you need Riley Leonard healthy for Duke to be at its best but in order to do what Duke wants to do offensively, they need a quarterback that's mobile and a threat. And Leonard won't be that. Yeah, I agree with that. That's your ACC slate. Only five games. So going to have to look outside of the ACC for some other college football games. And we've got three that we want to talk about very quickly. Three games between top 25 opponents. First and foremost, big game of the day. The game day game, college game day, is between... Oregon and Washington be an early morning for those people and ESPN going out there. Washington is favored by two and a half points. And this should be a really fun game if you like offense and throwing the ball around and points being scored. Both teams do that really well. Michael Penix uh, does that better than almost anybody in college football, the Washington quarterback. But I really like Oregon in this game. They have one of the most efficient offenses in the country, which is crazy that Bo Nix is at the helm of it, given where he's been in his career and the criticisms of him. Oregon has only turned the ball over once this whole season, and they have a better passing defense than Washington does. They only allow 153 passing yards per game. And finally, just like bad vibes from Washington this week, they 
joined a lawsuit. They tried to rejoin the Pac-12 so that they could get a lawsuit to dismiss the claims from Washington State and Oregon State about being able to own the Pac-12. And that's just like bad karma from my perspective. You can't be doing that. Just like you want to leave, leave, get out. But leave the lawyers out of this. (laughs) So give me the ducks on the road. Big win for them. Yeah, the good thing for Washington is that the lawyers aren't the ones throwing passes. And I think that this is going to be the game where, you know, the national crowd, the national audience is going to realize how good this Washington team is. That home field advantage at Husky Stadium in Seattle is pretty legit. That place is wild. And I I think it's going to be rocking. And this is two of the better quarterbacks in the country right now. Two of the more dynamic offenses in the country going head to head. I love Washington in this game. And I think, like I said, I think this is sort of the, it's crazy that it, it hasn't happened yet. To me, at least it doesn't feel like it has, but it feels like this is the national coming out party for Washington and Michael Penix Jr. Where more casual fans are going to be like, oh, shit, that team, that team's really good. And I just think, I think that's what we have coming for us. The, uh, I mean, Oregon is legit. Like, I'm not saying that they're overrated or anything like that. We've seen this Oregon team perform thus far, right? But also I would caution that that looking at, you know, Oregon's schedule so far, they have some really dominant wins over not great teams. They have a dominant win over a Colorado team that I still I still feel like six weeks in, we're not totally sure how good Colorado is. So it, it's it's difficult to to evaluate that Oregon team we're definitely going to find out over the next few weeks right they play Washington this week Washington State the following week and then Utah but I really like the look of the Washington offense I like the look of of this team that has a lot of experience has a lot of playmakers and has also taken care of business and throughout the course of uh this season so far now you could make the same argument they haven't played any like world beaters so it'll be interesting to watch to see kind of which of these teams seems ready to rise to the occasion. But for my money, it's going to be Washington. Yeah, it, despite both offenses being dynamic and scoring a lot of points, they do it in different ways. Like Washington throws the ball deep, a lot of vertical passes. Oregon is much more efficient, short passes, screens, slants, those kind of things. And so it'll be an interesting contrast of styles. But the ultimate result will be a lot of points being scored on the on the scoreboard, and I'm excited to watch that game at 3.30. And I kind of feel like I'm rooting for Washington just because Oregon's been in that situation so many times. And yeah. I don't know, Washington, I guess they made it to the playoff a few years ago, but, but I do think Oregon wins the game. Saturday at 7.30 on NBC, or if you prefer, Peacock, you can watch Notre Dame hosting USC. Notre Dame is favored by two and a half points. And this is two teams that I just feel like are kind of floundering. I mean, there are two good teams. It's not like they're just tanking or anything. But we've got Notre Dame coming off the end of the 30-game regular season win streak in the ACC. You've got USC coming off of almost blowing it against Arizona, a game that never should have been close. I don't know. Like, I, I, I really feel like Either result is possible. It would be very possible that USC just has the more offensive talent, comes in there, wins the game easily. Caleb Williams looks amazing. But it also seems possible to me that this is the game where USC's bad defense catches up to them. 
and Notre Dame puts it together. But I'm just not seeing it from Notre Dame's offense. In the last three games, they've only scored 18 points a game. They're not getting big plays. So I think USC is going to win the game. Their offense seems too good, but I don't know. I had very low confidence level on this one. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with a low confidence level, but I do like USC in this game to bounce back. Look, Caleb Williams has been ridiculous, right? Like he's still 22 touchdowns to one interception, 1800 passing yards, and that's not even factoring in rushing uh, production this is when you kind of think about guys that can single-handedly wreck a game can single-handedly provide a win for their team Caleb Williams is at the top of that list and Sam Hartman's a really good quarterback too but he's not that caliber of quarterback and I just don't think that Notre Dame is you know, as evidenced by losing to Louisville the way that they did, I just don't know that they're that class of team. But but it's hard to say. Like USC definitely has holes in them, like we talked about earlier, and so that that leads to that low level of confidence. But I still like USC in this game. It's a three point line. Looking at things like Bill Connolly's SP Plus, like he's got this as close as it gets. Like basically a toss up. His projected score is 30, 30 to thirty. So he like his model projects a tie. And so it's a difficult kind of, it's a difficult one to call, but I like Caleb Williams at the end of the day in a game like that, where teams seem pretty even, give me the elite playmakers and, and nobody's more elite than Caleb Williams. Yeah. That's generally how I feel too. I think it just wouldn't surprise me after so many straight games of USC, just playing with their food seemingly for it to bite them. Like it's going to bite them at some point. I don't think it will be this game, but. It very well could be this game. It wouldn't surprise me. Last game of the day that we want to talk about, Saturday at 8 p.m. on Fox. It's number 18, UCLA, a team that I told you was going to beat Washington State last week. I told you. I told you. You did. Didn't I tell you? Against number 15, Oregon State, a team that played in one of the more exciting games that nobody watched last week, 52-40 to against Cal. Points all over the place. UCLA has the nation's second best rush defense and are eighth in the country in Saxburg game, which is how they've been winning games, which is weird given that Chip Kelly is the coach and he's known for just like offensive guru and going at a million miles an hour. But they did a great job of bottling up Cameron Ward in that game against Washington State, holding the Cougars to 12 rushing yards total in the whole game which is ridiculous based on how well Washington State was playing. But games in Corvallis, DJU coming off a five-touchdown performance. They had 37 minutes of possession in the last game. I just see this as like, honestly, the Pac-12 is just insane. There have so many fun teams that I love to watch, even though I don't really have a vested interest in it. And it just seems like they're all going to beat up on each other. And UCLA got the big win last week. This week seems like it's going to be Oregon State at home. I'm not going to learn my lesson from last week. And I'm like, can never we just, change. Yeah, yeah. Become ungovernable. <laughs> we just need to stop making UCLA, not stop trying to make UCLA happen here. Like, I, I don't think 
I don't know, man. I just don't look at this team and think like this is the same as my perspective on Louisville, I guess. I just don't look at them and think good team. And I know that doesn't make too much sense. It's a lot of eye test stuff and not so much the numbers, but the models seem to favor Oregon State in this game as well. And I just think that they're a lot better. So I will be and I like I like them. I'll be pulling for them. You know, they have again, they have more experience, right? They're not leaning on it. seems like UCLA now kind of settling into leaning on Dante Moore at quarterback, not going with the uh, five quarterback approach anymore. <laughs> and, and I just think that 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 youth and lack of experience is not going to do them favors. And so, you know, I won't try to do it. I'll, I'll say my my coworker and friend Catherine does a great beaver impression that are origin originated mm. from watching some Oregon State games, but I will. So shout out to her. But it is go Beavs. I think they're gonna take this one. You know, I'm just excited, regardless of how this game goes, to see how this conference develops over time. I mean, you've got Washington State that's on the up and up, UCLA, USC, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, just all great teams. And I just not just this year, but next year, I can't wait to see how all of these teams stick together. And, oh, I'm sorry. I'm being told that this conference it can't work financially and that they <laughs> all have to get out except Oregon State and Washington State. So <laughs> enjoy while you can, folks. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so those are the games we want to talk about. There's uh, some other games just on the docket that might be interesting. A sneaky good game. Wyoming and Air Force might have... New Year's Day bowl game implications. Wyoming with a big win last week against Fresno State, and now they had to go up against an undefeated Air Force team. I'm really looking forward to that game. I just, I don't know. I like watching Air Force play. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch. And Wyoming is just kind of a plucky team that keeps finding ways to win games that maybe they shouldn't. So that's one of my favorite games of the day. You've got Alabama and Arkansas got ohio state at purdue michigan and indiana any other games jump out at you that you're interested in watching i just got my two quick upset picks for the week and they're both road dogs coming in and they're both in the sec texas a&m is going to go in and beat tennessee at neyland stadium and Missouri's going to beat kentucky mm. yeah i'm all in on those two you're, That's gonna you're be my... ditching Kentucky after you were so big on them last well, week. They played they took awful. A hot steaming shit on the field. So, <laughs> yeah, I clearly got confused about which team in the state of in the Commonwealth of Kentucky was overrated. So that's my fault. Uh, I'm so sorry, but I will swing the pendulum way the other way and say that Missouri's going to go in and beat them. I'm going to have a two two leg underdog parlay with Texas A&M and Missouri formerly of the Big 12, invading the SEC and taking out te Tennessee and Kentucky. Mm. Yeah, I don't hate that. My game that I'm interested in because of self-hatred is Wisconsin and Iowa, just because Ugh. I feel like it was, the over-under line is 36 and a half. And <laughs> that's just hilarious, first of all. Uh, even with Luke Fickle offense, the line is still 36 and a half. But... The Iowa game last week is amazing. They won the game despite having no completions to wide receivers. None. Six total catches in the game. And they won 20 to 14. <laughs> and Not this great. game, 
this game actually will decide the Big Ten West, basically. Like, if Wisconsin wins the game, they're pretty much guaranteed to win the Big Ten West, which would be great for one of my season bets. But if Iowa wins, they're in the driver's seat the rest of the way, despite, again, not having a functional offense, which is <laughs> half of the football. <laughs> At this point, Brian Ferentz needs uh, his team to average 26.75 points a game the rest of the way, and I don't think they're going to do it in this game. Uh, It's not looking good. (laughs) No, it's not, but it should be a good game. Wisconsin favored by 10, though, which seems, I don't know, Iowa, giving Iowa a lot of points with that defense, can't decide. I won't watch. (laughs) I'm like I'm gonna double screen that with the Oregon Washington game because they're on mostly at the same time and just be like keep pointing it like pointing out to Iowa like look that's what it looks like that's what Iowa that's <laughs> offense over there just play like as that. they're as they're punting from their <laughs> opponents 45 exactly oh uh, should be a fun weekend looking forward to it uh, if you want to share any of your picks or upsets or best bets you can do so by emailing the show at preferred walkoms at yahoo.com or engaging with us on social media x instagram at pwo pod and that's where you can find us good luck against duke this weekend i would love for nc state to win that game thanks man it feels pretty big like i said earlier and i i think uh i like our chances but i am i'm very nervous about it i'm gonna use the buy to get better i'm gonna watch a lot of film and you know rest up some nagging injuries and see if i can get ready for the south's oldest rivalry <laughs>